y'all. Hey, this is John Lawrence with Anesthesia Guidebook. This is episode 88, and it's part three of a three-part series with Dustin Degman, a CRNA formerly with the United States Army. In the first episode of this series, we discussed Dustin's experience in Afghanistan serving at a forward operating base in Paktika province back in 2012. That was at the height of the Afghanistan war. We talked about what makes up forward surgical teams and the role of CRNAs as the sole anesthesia provider on those teams. In part two, we came back and we discussed the principles of damage control resuscitation with a special focus on combat trauma anesthesia. And in this final episode of the series, we talk about the path to becoming a military CRNA, a little bit more about Dustin's personal journey to that end and the importance of supporting our troops. Now, I know the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan have fortunately come to an official end, and that right now in August of 2022, we're in a period of time where United States troops are not in active combat roles. However, the United States still have the world's largest military with approximately 1.3 million active service members and nearly 200,000 personnel actively deployed overseas in nations around the world. What Degman shares in this episode about how to engage with and support active service personnel and our veterans is a powerful message for each of us. These individuals continue to make a sacrifice to serve the mission that our nation has given them. That we support them and how we support them matters. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that in this episode. And again, in terms of direct relevance to anesthesia, this episode has incredible traction for those of you who are or want to become military CRNAs or physician anesthesiologists, or those of you who work with, are friends with, or in families with those individuals. And on that note, at the close of each of these episodes in this three-part series, I've talked a little bit about the Pat Tillman Foundation, and I just want to tune you into that now in case you've missed those other uh, sound-offs. So the Pat Tillman Foundation is a foundation that awards academic scholarships to military service members, veterans, and their spouses. And it's in honor of Pat Tillman, who was an Army Ranger who was killed in Afghanistan in 2004. Uh, The Tillman Foundation is doing incredible work. And in honor of these three episodes, uh, in honor of Dustin Degman and his time in the armed services and his willingness to contribute to the podcast, I made a a very small dollar donation to the Pat Tillman Foundation. Uh, It was just 30 bucks. It's nothing to brag about. It's not much. Uh, Some would say it's worthless. It's not even mentioned. It's not even worth talking about. But what I intended with that um, donation is to make a small dollar donation and then encourage you to do the same. So Anesthesia Guidebook is a free podcast. It's something that I've never asked for. I've never charged for. Apple Podcasts has made it easier than ever to set up a subscription service. And I would say, you know, most anesthesia podcasts, most medical podcasts have headed in that direction. And I think it's still important to make these shows available for free. And I think this is probably the first time I've ever even mentioned giving money to something on the podcast. And, you know, and I would just encourage you to think about, you know, make a, make a donation to the Pat Tillman Foundation for 10, 20, 30 bucks, maybe 10 bucks for each of these three episodes. That's how I thought about it. And, you know, one, one small dollar donation is just that it's not much, but if a hundred people give a small dollar donation, that that's a significant scholarship that the Tillman Foundation could award to a active service member or veteran or one of their spouses. 
so if we all do a little bit, then our collective efforts make a huge difference. So just a little bit on that. You'll hear a sound off on that at the end of the show. And uh, with that, I'm going to reintroduce Degman to you real briefly, and then we're going to get to the podcast. This series was originally recorded in early 2015, just a year or so after Dustin had returned from Afghanistan and while the war there was still raging. At the time, I was completing my anesthesia training at Western Carolina University and working on launching From the Head of the Bed, the podcast that preceded Anesthesia Guidebook. Dustin was one of my professors and clinical faculty at WCU and was kind enough to volunteer his time for these interviews back then. Dustin served with the United States Air Force from 1998 to 2002 as a critical care registered nurse. He was honorably discharged and went on to complete his anesthesia training outside of the military. In 2010, he re-enlisted with the Army Reserves as a CRNA and was deployed in November of 2012 to Ford Operating Base Oregon-E in Paktika Province, Afghanistan, where he was the sole anesthesia provider on a Ford surgical team, providing damage control resuscitation to injured soldiers. Most recently, Dustin serves as the Chief CRNA at Peace Health's Peace Harbor Medical Center in Florence, Oregon. In 2021, Dustin was awarded the Peace Health Mission and Values Award, and the organization put together an incredible video tribute to Dustin, which I'm going to link to in the show notes. And with that, let's get to the show. We're going to wrap up our talk today talking about how can folks get into the military, how can they serve as a military anesthetist, and also how can we be of support as, a, as communities back home to our friends and family who are serving in the military. And to start off, on all three parts of our talk, we've had a special flag in the room here in the studio, and I want Dustin to kind of tell us a little bit about that flag and where it came from. So I was given a flag from a good friend who served at Fob Shank. And which is south, uh, Fort Operating Base Shank, which is just south of Kabul on uh, Route One uh, in Afghanistan. And Shank is a um, is a terrible place to be. It is a terrible place to be. Uh, the month before I got there, it had a vehicle-borne IED that absolutely shredded the FST that was there. Um, Shank has always been associated with really bad karma. Um, and so I had a good friend that was there and I worried for him. Um, I kind of knew, I felt like, uh, I was, I was there. And so I was able to come back as kind of a mentoring role, able to say, listen, when you get to your CRC or your pre-deployment training, you know, keep these in mind, get these certificates. When you get to Kuwait, be aware of this, you know, take your goggles. The dust storms really suck. Um, sandstorms, um, Little stuff. When you get to Bagram, go to your task force, med, you know, and get get your bullets. You know, um, hang out at Fob Till or uh, MWR Tillman. You know, take it easy there. Get some good cup of coffee. Um, little things, all the little things that took him to get there. Anyway, when I knew he was there, I know there's nothing better than just getting a care package. So um, he said that I rivaled his wife in getting those packages, <laughs> and she was going to have to step it up. To uh, and I know good protein's hard to come by. I had to live off of uh, MREs every morning, a chicken flavored MRE or a tuna packet every day for breakfast, and it's miserable. And so uh, with other people. Um, co-workers and stuff, we were able to get a lot of packages sent out there, including probably about 60 to 70 pounds of jerky. Um, just the little things make a profound difference. And the, the experience that I took back from Afghanistan is, and I still to this day, I'll pick up a good cup of coffee 
And that was the time that I sat with my friends and just enjoyed the moment. And sometimes it's just a cup of coffee with your friends, um, brings a lot of brotherhood together. So he awarded me, uh, with a certificate of a flag that was flown over five shank. It's folded up. I spent way too much money on that shadow box, but I felt it was worth it. <laughs> and, uh, I've got it in display on my office with the flag and a, and a little bit of a, a plaque saying this was flown on this day That's to awesome. remember, um, the servicemen and, uh, that have fought over there. So it's a good reminder. That's awesome. So yeah. it flew on uh, the 20th of May in 2014 yep. at Fob Shank. So, and, uh, so we brought that into the studio today just as, as kind of a, a physical representation of, of much of uh, our talk today. So thanks for sharing the story. Yeah, absolutely. So Dustin, what led you to, to join the Air Force as a nurse? And then what brought you back to the Army Reserves eight years later as a CRNA? So I wanted to be a CRNA. I was just a floor nurse. I wish I could say I initially joined the Air Force for all of the honorable reasons of, um, at that time there was no 9-11. It was strictly to become a CRNA. Uh, if I enjoyed the military, I was going to stay in it to become one. If not, I went, I got out and I had the GI Bill to fall on. So, um, I got out, used the GI Bill to help pay for my anesthesia school. And so that was kind of the intent of enjoying the, joining the Air Force. And with the Air Force, I mean, I was able to maximize everything that they had to offer for me. So I went from a floor nurse, told I wouldn't be off in two years. I got off in eight months, um, just doing high speed stuff, becoming an ACLS instructor, BLS instructor, take an intra balloon pump course, taking two CCR and review courses. So when I went to the nurse manager, I'm like, you don't hardly have to train me. I'm ready for this role. Uh-huh. So I was able to get off. And then even at that point, I was able to prepare for my GRE, uh, prepare for all the requirements that it took for me to go through anesthesia school. And so, so you did all that. You went from floor nurse to ICU nurse mm-hmm. during your uh, years as active duty Correct. in the Air Force. You got out, used the GI Bill to Correct. get into CRNA school, which was where? At uh, University of Scranton in Pennsylvania. Great. And then after that, you moved to Asheville and became I, a civilian CRNA? It was, yeah. That was my first job coming out of CRNA. I've been here nine years. And then as you stated in the previous episodes, you had a special moment, uh, a spark of inspiration from a military CRNA. It did, yep. And then that encouraged you to start talking to your family about joining up again. I did, yeah. And uh, was able to do exactly what I wanted to do when I was in the Army Reserves, yeah. Take care of injured soldiers, take care of injured people. That's yeah. great. Yep. That's great. And how long uh, from the time that you joined mm-hmm. uh, as a CRNA until you were deployed? So it was a two-year process. Um, the first year I was able to go through officer basic, and then the next year I deployed. And then um, my third year was kind of a mentoring role. It was actually kind of cool that last year going to units and speaking about trauma management and just um, being able to care for the trauma patient, basically. Yeah, I give lots of lectures, yeah. So you're giving these lectures to military CRNA stateside? I'm giving the lecture to the medics on the medical units that I was here in Asheville. Um, and uh, sometimes in Greensboro. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yep. Excellent. Well, uh, if a student, you know, resident anesthesia provider who's listening is interested in serving, what advice would you give to them? Um, make sure your intent of why you want to join, just remember that moment of why you want to join because you're going to put up with a lot of unnecessary headaches that you don't anticipate. And if you remember why you joined, 
you know, for me, it was to be able to have the honor and taking care of an injured soldier who was doing the utmost thing to, to take care of us as Americans. If you go in with your motive, you will let whatever problems are ahead of you pass without too much emotion. What about our ICU nurses out there who somehow, yeah, yeah, somehow under, under the sun found this podcast and they're interested in anesthesia. They're interested in being a military CRNA. Uh, they're not a CRNA yet. What options are available for them for training uh, with the military? So you can be active duty. You can join the Army Reserves or the National Guard. The Guard is very specific on the duties that they can provide within the state. I don't know if they offer a CRNA position in the Guard. They didn't in North Carolina. I had to do the eyeball test when I went to uh, wanted to move forward where they go into a military base and they eyeball you to just see if you're an eye-worthy candidate. So not, not overweight and not some sort of significant disability to move forward. And then from there, I talked to a healthcare recruiter. And um, at that point, you can probably either do reserves or active duty as a CRNA. And each branch offers a different program. Um, you know, there is no medical with the Marines. They fall under Navy. Each branch offers a little bit of a different stipend pay, you know, um, years experience that will collaborate over, you know, each one's a little bit different. And there's ways to sign up. Say you're, you're a critical care nurse. You want to become a CRNA. Right. Sign up and get your anesthesia training with the military while active duty or in reserves. Or, or do you need to get your anesthesia training outside of your you need work to, with the military? Yeah. So you can go through the military through their program at Offit. But uh, that's where if you're active duty, you apply for their program. You get paid your rank as you go through school and you owe time back. Yep. There's re, there's programs offered while you're in the reserves to pay back your student loan that in return you offer so many years of reserve service. Great. Um, but either way, it's just years in service for payment of getting you through school. Right, right. What did you do to prepare for your time abroad in both in terms of your personal life and uh, in your practice life? Yeah. Um, practice life, there wasn't, I mean, I was on the trauma rotation with All Care, working at Mission Hospital and their trauma rotation. That gave me good experience. But nothing really truly prepares you for IED injuries other mm -hmm. than just being there and doing them. Mm -hmm. But personally, you know, I started getting the army times and just seeing soldiers that were killed, being curious of where they were from and seeing the type of injuries that they died from. And it, it puts you back into perspective of why I did what I did, why I chose to do what I wanted to do. Those guys right there were the reason I wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, that was a healthy reminder for me, you know, personally to get my mindset into, I need to do this and this is why. Mm -hmm. Did you do any special reading before you left? Uh, I didn't. No. no? I, 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 oh, I, I take that back. I did do two readings. I got, uh, I got first to cut, which are case scenarios that deal with uh, management of those cases, whether it be through surgery, with anesthesia and that sort. And the other one is the clinical practice guidelines uh -huh. that the Army dictates as their protocol in taking care of certain types of cases. And those are online? Those are online for anybody to view. That's yep. great. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So, uh, so you read both of those and those were of some help before you, Ab went? Oh, the, the most help I could get. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 How about with your personal life, your family? 
So um, you prepare, you try to get them prepared, and there's really nothing that can prepare you into preparing them. I mean, you can be told that you're going to have to Skype um, until you do it and see their reaction. Uh, that was a little bit tough. Um, yeah. You know, not being able to speak on the phone, you know, just having phone conversations for a couple months and then seeing someone on Skype, it's pretty emotional. Um, and then you don't always come back the same person you left. Mm-hmm. You, I, you, you tend to come back maybe a simpler person and you can't always expect that other person to understand that. Like you could literally be content sitting in a chair in your living room doing absolutely nothing and find that to be a really cool thing. And you can't expect everybody else to, in your life, to think that that's a normal way of functioning. And so it was a little bit challenging in that regard. Right. Yeah. What helped in terms of support from folks back home while you were there? You know, I did get uh, packages sent from close friends, and that was nice to get jerky coming back home to be able to feed on, especially when you're not sure what time the mess hall hours are on certain bases that you're at. So that was a nice thing to have, those kind of comforts. Yeah, Yeah. little things from home were nice. Um, I requested to have peanut butter from, or excuse me, jelly sent from Tupelo Honey while I was out there. And I could steal bread from the cafeteria and have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich when I was out there. So that was a nice treat. Yeah. Little little treat from hometown Asheville. Yes. Yeah, that was nice. And friends would send that. Um, But as far as support, um, I really tried to downplay it. Like, don't worry about contacting me. It took me a long time to get online and respond. Yeah. Internet service was really iffy. So I just wanted to be as low key as I could while I was over there. And, and, uh, I tried to keep everybody informed every couple of weeks of what I was up to, but don't worry about, you know, flooding me with emails. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll let y'all know when I get back what it was like kind of mentality. Right. What do you think was most surprising to you about your time abroad? What was something you didn't expect as far as the challenges? That's an easy easy answer. So the first week I got there, you know, I got the army time sent to me for the reasons I'd stated before. I wanted to see those soldiers injured and, and understand or died and understand what they did, how they died, who they were. What I did not expect to see was to know somebody personally that I grew up with in high school in the same town of 500 people that I lived in, that I've spent the night at someone's house that I personally know personally die in Afghanistan while I was in Afghanistan. I didn't expect that. Wow. Um, and that was, um, uh, that was humbling too. Not, I don't even know where to do that was a change in life. That was a change in mindset. That was a change in lifestyle for me at that point. Um, to to reflect to someone you personally know and think, I remember when he spoke to the recruiter. I remember when he went through ranger school and came home. I remember when we used to box as a kid, you know, in his bedroom. Um, all those memories come yeah. flooding back. Yeah. And then it's like, well, why... He died because he chose this path, become infantry ranger, you know, company commander. And I'm a CRNA here now, but his life, I don't know. It's just, it was a, it was a really tough thing to grasp mm. 
It was a tough thing to grasp. Was he close to you in Afghanistan? Did you see him in Afghanistan? So it's funny. I did not see him in Afghanistan. I didn't see him after 17 years. After he went through ranger school and came back with his buds and we played football, that was the last I saw of him. And um, I remember all those emotions, though, of child because those high school years you know those four years you get to know someone those are big developmental years yeah, to someone years. and so i wasn't with him for a long time but it but it was a big moment in, in that time when i was over there hands down yeah and to know the medic guys who knew the company commander that got killed you know just missed his front plate and then to come back home and to run into an attorney that knew him to teach him how to teach the the clerics you know the judicial system. You know, oh yeah, I remember talking to Captain Neal and and uh, telling him about the law. You know, from an attorney's point of view, long enough. That was everybody I knew that at that point knew him. Wow. You know, so that was um, a little tough to yeah, sure, yeah, swallow. Any other surprises from your time abroad? Mm, Things you no, because everything I didn't expect to have a close relationship with the guy. I should have known it would have been like that, the brotherhood, the camaraderie. Mm-hmm. But um, the guys that I was with over there, still very, very close friends, that's text awesome. every day, you know, kind of stuff now. Yeah, that's yeah. great. That's I got great. friends for life. That's awesome. Yeah. How can folks uh, who are back home uh, lend support to people serving abroad? That's an easy, very easy answer. And it's, it's so simple don't complain in front of a soldier wearing a uniform. Don't, it doesn't matter what (laughs) your complaint is. You missed your flight. Okay. You missed your flight. You've just been around a guy that could have possibly, especially a guy in a uniform at the, at the airport is, and especially if he's in multi-cam, he was in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. So there's no need for you to complain. (laughs) He has been without possible showers and dealing with really crappy food for a long time and conditions you have no idea and having seen people die and and your missed flight or your little complaint is could be big to you but it is it's going to just make him feel even more isolated from the public and the civilian perception Um, the other thing is if you see a guy in uniform approach him thank him uh, in, in the airport, ask him what he does. People are very proud to say what they do for this country. And, uh, you know, just thank them, ask them what they do. They'll be more than glad to tell no, you. No problem. Just walking up to somebody. Cold hey man, thanks. Saying, hey. What do you do? Hey, what do you do in the military? Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. Simple. You don't have to buy their meal. You don't have to do any of that. Just ask them what they do. You know, yeah. we have a lot, but not talking to them and avoiding them like a plague. That's, Probably not the right thing to do, but that's what you think that um, you should just leave them alone because they're in uniform and, you know, but really just approach them and say, hey, man, thank you. And what do you do? Yeah. Are you infantry? Do you work on airplanes? You know, whatever it may be that you do. Are you a CRNA? Yeah. yeah. What do you do? Yeah. I'd say. That's excellent. When, When folks are abroad, when they're away. What can you do? How, how You mentioned care packages. There's foundations out there that send out packages, you know, that um, the USO, I mean, it's one of the best charitable organizations that you can give to because I think it's 94, 96% of the money goes to the mission, which is to the troops and morale. 
It doesn't go to advertising much. It doesn't go to overhead costs, administrative actions. It really almost all goes to the mission. Um, if you really, there's lots of things you can do, whether it's going to your VA and, and volunteering a little bit of your time. There's lots of little things, but you're right. It is sometimes hard to figure out how exactly can I help. What did you send your friend when he was abroad? Oh, jerky. Meats. I know that meat can chicken. Um, dark chocolate. Just a good protein source is really, really hard to come by. And, and if the listeners don't understand, uh, Degman's diet is one in which it demands <laughs> a lot of protein consumption. Yeah, and you don't get good proteins in Afghanistan yeah. <laughs> at all. That's hilarious. Yep. All right. Well, Dustin, thank you so much for your time uh, today. It's just been amazing to chat with you, uh, not only about the challenges that you faced in serving in the military in a Ford operating base, some of the specifics about damage control resuscitation and how that's different from, you know, civilian trauma care versus combat trauma care. And then also, you know, just a little bit about how to support folks who are abroad, how to support folks who are coming home, um, how to get involved in the military. So thank you for all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely appreciate that. Is there anything else that you'd like to share as far as um, getting into the military, serving or coming home, how to make, how to help people make that transition, maybe for our service members who are listening, how to make that transition more smooth for either going abroad or coming home? Yeah, I am. Some from the friends that I have, most of the time when they come home, they want to just spend that initial week with family. Um, Don't be surprised if they don't really want to spend a time with others when they come back, but just to um, just spend time, maybe just getting reacclimated to the surroundings of being home. Yeah. Um, I remember being home for a couple of weeks and then um, meeting up with others. And one of the most profound moments when I got back was um, I had to go to a doctor's appointment after working and I had a choice and it was just the most bizarre feeling for me to think, oh my God, I get to pick where I want to eat and what I want to eat right now. <laughs> and I'll, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to Mamacita's and I'm going to get me a chicken potipulti, sweet potato uh, burrito. Nice. And it was like, it was just like that freedom, that freedom, that freedom to just decide what you want to eat at that moment was like an awesome feeling. Wow. It's since passed, <laughs> but I remember it initially. Yeah. And so don't be surprised when they come home that, um, they'll get back in their groove. It's just, you know, it's a process. It's a process. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. But this is awesome. I appreciate it. This is like good therapy for me sometimes just to, just to think about it again and be humbled about my experiences and just remember what it was like. So yeah. thanks again. Well, thank us. you. Thank you for your service. Thanks yep. to the service, uh, of the others that serve as yep. well. So we appreciate taking time out of your busy day to come chat with us. Yeah, it's been great. What up y'all to close each of these three episodes out. I'd like to encourage you to make a donation to the Pat Tillman foundation in honor of army ranger, Pat Tillman, who was killed in Afghanistan in 2004. The Pat Tillman Foundation awards academic scholarships to military service members, veterans, and their spouses. Dustin Degman identified this as one of the several service organizations that he believes in and encourages you to give to either the Tillman Foundation or an organization you connect with. If we each give $10 to $20, our collective impacts will make a huge difference. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.